The scripture this morning is Psalm 103, 1 through 5. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is the word of the Lord. Such a good word from Lynn on such a significant Sunday for her. Well, one of the, are you going to stay here for a double dose? Okay, okay. It's pretty sweet of you. Dale, you with her? Okay, good, good, good. Appreciate that. One of the true gems of the artistic world is the Sistine Chapel. Has anybody been to the Sistine Chapel before? Just beautiful. A lot of you in the middle. That's great. Uh, beautiful, beautiful place over there in the Vatican, obviously. Michelangelo uh, painted it. It took him four years to complete it. He finished it in 1512. And what's interesting is for the first 400 years of its existence, the only way that it was lit in there was by candlelight, by candles. Now imagine 400 years of that because what happened is you'd have soot that would rise up to the walls, to the ceilings, not just that but grime and dust would collect. So after a time it lost its original beauty, its original luster and it really needed to be restored. So in 1984 a team of artists started restoring it and it took them through 1999 to complete it and it really was restored to its original beauty. Some had thought... (laughs) Wrongly so, uh, that, that Michelangelo had actually chosen kind of drab colors, just these dull, monochromatic uh, uh, colors that were just kind of blah, and, 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 and that he really hadn't been careful to pick a beautiful spring-like colors. But then when they finally did, the restoration was like, oh my goodness, these are lively, vivid colors that are just stunning. And uh, we, we have some examples of it here. I think there's a picture of, this is the before of the top uh, of uh, the chapel with the frescoes up there. And this is a, a smaller a picture next of, of uh, just part of the fresco. You can just see how much brighter it is there. Just pretty amazing. You know of uh, the story of the creation of Adam and, and the painting of that. That was what was there before the restoration began in 1984. And then look at this afterwards. That's what it looks like now. Just stunning, just by getting the grime and the soot, uh, the dirt off of there, and that's what it looks like. I think I have a picture of the prophet Daniel uh, before and after there. You see, just you actually can see some of the colors uh, there. In fact, if you zero in, I think we've got one more that's a close up of down toward Daniel's knee there. I don't know why they'd take a picture of Daniel's knee, but there it is. Well, you can see the shine, the luster, the splendor of it that, that had been lost. Now, it's interesting because people had to change their assumptions, at least some people did, had to change their assumptions about Michelangelo and his choice of colors. But then they saw the original colors and were like, no. Um, he chose these beautiful, lively colors. You know, they just had to get through the soot and the grime. Where am I going with this? You know, sometimes we have soot and grime dirt that's kind of obscured, our vision of God, vision of God's gifts, really our very spiritual walk. And we kind of blind ourselves to, to his goodness. You know, our faith, in a sense, has lost its color, its, its splendor. And that's why I love Psalm 103, because it really can help us restore it if we have the attitude of thanks, of gratitude. It brings us back, really, to the sense of wonder, the color, the splendor of knowing God personally and restoring the true colors of of his brilliant goodness 
And it does so obviously by thanking him, by praising him. That's really where David goes immediately in that direction. He starts with praising God for his benefits, and that's where we ought to start as well. Let's go to verses 1 and 2. Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I love, Lynn, I love the message where it says, I will praise him from my head to my toe, and that's really a good rendition of the Hebrew, actually. Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. Now, I'm going to go old school just on these two verses because this was my father's favorite psalm, and I would always hear him pray it uh, in the old school way with the older translations, which starts with, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his, what does it say? benefits. Forget not all his benefits. Now, there's a wonderful irony that you find in two of those words. One is benefits, or here it it says good things. Literally in the Hebrew, the word there is awards. (laughs) Do not forget all of the awards that he has given you, that he has done for you. I find that a marvelously ironic word that I think David uh, purposefully chose, because isn't that sort of ironic? What award do you think we As we stand before the holy God of the universe, the magisterial God, the mysterious God, the sovereign God of all things who created all things, what do you and I deserve from him? Somebody want to try to fill in that blank? Nothing. You know, not the Mr. Nice Guy award or the I Deserve Grace award, nothing. We really don't deserve anything from him, no awards. And I think that David was clearly being ironic there. But there's another ironic word there where it says, forget not all his benefits, all. Don't forget all of his benefits. That's ironic to me. Do you think we can actually remember all the gifts that God gives us, all the ways that he blesses us every day, every hour, every moment? And and how aware are we of even the most simple of gifts that he offers us each and every day and each and every moment, but really we, we don't realize it. It's impossible for us to remember all those things. I wish that we could, but it reminds us of our forgetfulness of all his benefits, even the most simple yet profound things. I read years ago uh, the true story about a teacher of fourth graders, not, not the one over there, by the way, uh, but a teacher of fourth graders who um, was, talking about my wife over there, uh, she was teaching a class one day, and they had gone over some of these uh, seven ancient wonders of the world, you know what some of those are, and she said, you know, I wonder if they might learn the seven present wonders of the world, which ones they think they might be, because she had alluded to some of them. So she said, okay, class, uh, get out a piece of paper, and what I want you to do is list what you think are the seven present wonders of the world. And so they got right on it, and they were just listing, listing. There was one girl who just kind of kept sitting there, and, and, you know, she wound up, you know, collecting all uh, of the papers except the girl. She thought, well, she needs a little more time. And she started, you know, looking at all of uh, these papers with the list of seven, and she calculated it with this one student still sitting there thinking and everything. She calculated it, and these are the seven they came up with. I think it's a good list. First of all, Egypt's Great Pyramids got the most votes, okay? Secondly, Taj Mahal, Grand Canyon, Panama Canal, Empire State Building, St. Peter's Basilica, and finally, China's Great Wall. Good list of what could be the present Uh, seven wonders of the world. Well, the little girl who was still working on it was still there, but she had finally written some stuff out, and she said, okay, you know, do you want me to take that up and let me look at yours? She said, well, I'm not sure. She said, you know, I'm having trouble with it. There's so many things to choose from. And she said, well, you know, being a good teacher, she said, well, why don't you tell us what you have and maybe we can help? Because she was thinking she didn't know very many. And the girl hesitated. She said, okay. 
And she read it out loud. She said, I think the seven wonders of the world are to see, to hear, to touch, to taste, to feel, to laugh, and to love. That's a great list. You know, how often do we forget those simplest, yes, yet most profound of gifts that God blesses with on a daily, come on, momentary basis? So often we forget. And those are incredible benefits, to use that old school word again, but we also have these benefits that are more spiritual in nature. And really that takes us to verses 3 through 5. Let's look at that. It just expands. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death. He crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. And again, these are wonderful spiritual benefits. There's a wonderful Scottish preacher from the 1800s named Alexander White. And this was his favorite psalm. And he wound up kind of uh, looking at it through the lenses of different institutions And he said there's just a great way of looking at it. He said, first of all, we have the law court. He pardons all my sins. What's next? Now we have the hospital. He heals all my diseases. And we also have the slave market, an interesting one. He redeems your life from from death or from the pit, uh, really Sheol, the valley of the shadow of death. It's really saying there, he redeems me. He sets me free from the slavery of spiritual death due to sin. So again, we're no longer enslaved. Next, we have the throne room for he crowns me with love and compassion. And finally, we have the banquet hall, for he fills my life with good things. And I, I want to that last phrase, he fills my life with good things. You know, how can we fail to fathom the good things he brings to us each and every day, even in the most difficult times? Lynn had a wonderful word there. She learned how to bless God even in the most difficult of times. And y'all, if you don't mind my going off uh, script here for just a moment, it was amazing to me to be in the first service and see people in there like Melinda Dressler, whose brother was tragically killed just recently, as you know. Uh, she was there uh, last Sunday. It was the Sunday right after the funeral uh, service had been earlier that week. She was back. I see Tom Walker back here who lost his lovely wife, Vicki, recently. We had the funeral just the other week. He's back there singing praises to God. I saw uh, Judge Faircloth down there, Bob Faircloth. Uh, Peggy, we just had her funeral recently. I saw Glenn Love sitting back there who's battling ALS but is still showing up and his incredible wife who's just just being so faithful to him. I saw Colonel Fields back there with Helen who continues to have health issues. And I know there are people in here like this. But again, I just thought about that and I thought, you know, these are people who continue to come here and bless God because they think they have reason to do so because they worship a God who is so good. In spite of what they're facing, So blessed to see them, and I'm blessed to see some of you, and you're going through situations, but you're here nevertheless. Well, you know, when we recognize as endless gifts, I think it's so amazing. And I love the way that G.K. Chesterton put it, by the way. Let's put that up here. I like the first sentence, and it's not really where I'm going, but then he goes in the direction we're talking about. The worst moment for the atheist is when he is really thankful and has nobody to thank. I love that. But let's go on. The converse of this proposition is also true. The great saint, that is the faithful Christian, may be said to mix all his thoughts with thanks. He mixes all his thoughts with thanks each and every day, each and every hour. All goods, all good things look better when they look like gifts. It is the highest and holiest of the paradoxes that the man who really knows he cannot pay his debt with uh, will be forever paying it. He will be always throwing things away into, and I love this, a bottomless pit of unfathomable thanks. 
if we really live out this Christian life, realizing the incredible gift we've been given through Christ, and every gift that we get at every moment, we should be throwing all of these, all of these into this bottomless pit of unfathomable thanks. When we recognize those gifts, can't help but be thankful. And when we recognize all these benefits, it's, it says that final verse in verse 5, your youth is renewed. It's renewed like the eagles. Back then, the ancient Hebrews actually believed that eagles, in a sense, got younger the more they aged. They became more energetic. They became stronger as they aged. Have you ever known somebody who might be up there in age physically, but spiritually, emotionally, they're just young at heart? Do you know those people? Wonderful, wonderful people, and they just remain young at heart. Chances are they have a heart of gratitude, of giving thanks. So this psalm calls us to give thanks to God for his benefits, for the good things he brings us, but also for his grace. Let's look at that for just a moment. Really, verses 8 through 12 really address that. Let's look at verse 8 first of all. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. It's very interesting because David basically takes a quote from Moses that you find in Exodus 34, verse 6. This was after the golden calf incident. He comes down with the Ten Commandments. He's upset because they have forsaken God, and he gets upset. What does he do? He breaks the tablets Later on, God tells him, come on back up to Mount Sinai. I'm going to give you another set. So he goes back up there. And when he reaches the uh, assigned place where God was going to meet him, God blesses him by passing by him. And then God says these very words, I am compassionate and merciful. I am slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. David uses that very quote to remind us that even when we, like the Israelites with the golden calf, when we royally fail God, Fortunately, thanks be to him, he has a short fuse, short fuse when it comes to our sin. If we fall before him and seek his grace, his grace is indeed amazing. And that's a reason to give praise to God. And we see another evidence of it in verse 9. He will not, <laughs> he will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. I was thinking about this the other day and I thought, this really applies for us today. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. We live in an ever-accusing and ever-blaming society. Would you agree with me on that? A lot of blaming going on, a lot of accusing going on, to the point of absurdity. We had a, a judge in here the first hour, a bunch of lawyers. We probably got him in here too. But, you know, we live in a nation of some frivolous litigation. Do you know that? To the point of absurdity. I think of Alan Heckard, who lives in Portland, Oregon, right now. And he uh, slapped a lawsuit on Michael Jordan, the basketball player, along with the founder of Nike, Phil Knight, because they were causing him personal harm. How so? Apparently, he looks a lot like Michael Jordan, and people think that he's Michael Jordan all the time. And he's tired of that, and it's causing him personal harm, so he's suing Michael Jordan and Phil Knight. Okay. Do you know about the Batman lawsuit that was thrown out, thank goodness, now, I'm not talking about Batman the superhero. I'm talking about Batman the village. Does anybody know about this? Look on a map at the country of Turkey. In southeastern Turkey, there's a little town called Batman. It's spelled that way. Uh, true story. The mayor of the town filed a suit against Warner Brothers for using the name of their village without proper permission. Okay? And unfortunately, they were about 70 years late because uh, uh, Batman was invented a long time ago. Uh, Then there was the University of Michigan student, failed German uh, at University of Michigan. He wound up suing the university for $853,000. One of my favorites is Scott Anthony Gomez. He was a convict who escaped from prison, 
was captured very quickly, sent back into prison, had to serve more time now, and so he decided to sue the sheriff for not making the prison escape-proof so he couldn't have gotten out. True, true uh, lawsuit. And then there's little Wendy uh, Potasnik, nine-year-old girl, slaps a lawsuit on Cracker Jacks. Why? She opened up the box. What wasn't in there? No prize. Slapped a lawsuit. It was settled out of court uh, with a new box. I'm not making any of this up. Now, these are absurd accusations. You know, but in God's presence, we really deserve the accusations, if we were very honest. If we were you know, standing against the backdrop of the sovereign Lord of all things, who is completely pure, completely holy, we deserve to be accused. But he chooses to have that short memory. And we're so fortunate of that. I always think of Psalm 130 verse 3. It says, Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? I think of Isaiah 57, 16, which basically it's God telling us, if I stayed angry with you, exposing you to all your sins, you would wither and die. Thanks be to God he doesn't do that. When we genuinely confess to him, he remembers our sin no more. That's a reason to praise him. Praise him for his grace and for his love his unfailing love. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. The height of the heavens above the earth. How great is his love? How high is his love for us? Well, uh, the, the farthest away galaxy was discovered just recently. Let's put that up there. Okay, it's, it's where the circle is, but that's it superimposed. That's the best picture we can get of it. It's galaxy EGS-ZS8-1. Did you, did you write that down? And it is 13.1 billion light years from us. You know how long it takes a light year? Uh, 13.1 billion light years. Largest distance ever measured between Earth and another galaxy. Think about it. That's the highest height that we know of. That's the highest height of God's love. That's how unfailing his love is. It's all the way out there and beyond. That's what David is saying. It's higher than that. It's boundless, beyond what we can see or imagine. And in context here, David is saying that's how far away he casts out our sin as well. And he really builds on that in verse 12. Let's go to verse 12. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. I didn't appreciate this fully until... I uh, preach. I was interim pastor for a time at Trinity Baptist Church in Madison, Alabama, uh, up near Huntsville. Everybody in that church was either a rocket scientist or an engineer, just everybody. And um, I remember sharing this verse in some context that I don't recall, and I remember Ronnie Francis coming up to me, who's an engineer, and he said, you know, you really don't appreciate that uh, fully, do you? And I said, I don't know. He said, what if it said north and south? And I said, I, I, I don't know. He said, think about it. He said, if you were to go due north, you'd get all the way to the North Pole, and then you'd start going, what, south. And then you'd get down to the South Pole, then you start going north again. He said, kind of back and forth, kind of in a cyclical fashion. You got an ending point, then you start again. He said, but if you could t- get on a plane that had, had uh, you know, gas that could just keep you going and going, he said, if you went west, you would go west, 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 and just keep going, infinity. Or east, 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 it would keep going. It would be infinity. He said, that's how far he throws your sin, how far he casts it away, and that is how far he loves you. It's infinity. And so we have reason to give thanks. Where do you begin all this? I would think with prayer, 
I'm sure when Lynn got that word that morning when she woke up, you started praying a bit in the hospital bed. Well, when we begin with prayer, and I thought about this because I thought about, you know, how do I give thanks with prayer? What can help me give thanks with prayer? And I thought about Denzel Washington, of course, uh, the great actor. And uh, Denzel is a believer, has really kind of had a dramatic conversion experience, and, he, and he's, a, he's a devout Christian. And I remember reading something he said about prayer. I'll read in a second, and then I'm going to read something else. But I'll never forget, I read a, an interview with Denzel Washington in GQ magazine. I, no, I don't subscribe to it, but I should, shouldn't I? Um, anyway, but I thought this was cool that, that this was in Gentleman's Quarterly. Because they said, you know, do you have anything else you want to tell us? And he said, yeah, one more thing. And this is at the end of the interview. He said, put your slippers way under your bed so when you get up in the morning, you have to get on your knees to find them, and while you're down there, start your day with prayer. Y'all ever heard of that? I never heard that. I love that. That's what Denzel said. And what should we pray about? Well, just this last May, uh, Denzel spoke at, yeah, he's my buddy, Denzel, you know, just go by first name. No, but Denzel spoke at Dillard University's commencement, and he closed his speech this way, he said, put God first in everything you do. He said, everything that I have is by the grace of God. You need to understand that. It's a gift. I didn't always stick with him, but he stuck with me. And while you're on your knees, say thank you. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for wisdom. Thank you for parents. Thank you for love. Thank you for kindness. Thank you for humility. Thank you for peace. Thank you for prosperity. And then he said this at the end, say thank you in advance for what is already yours and then reach back and pull someone else up. Reach back and pull someone else up. We have so many reasons to be thankful, not just this season, but each and every day, each and every hour, each and every moment. And this is true. Last night I was rereading the conclusion of my sermon. It was going to stop right there. And um, I was reading the Denzel quotes, and I saw that I got an email. Carol Giffen, she and Jim teach a Sunday school class here, said, I just got this from Mike and Nancy English, who remembers here. English, right back there. I just got this from Mike and Nancy English. And, and Mike and Nancy had been passing out Thanksgiving baskets yesterday morning at Truvine Church, where Pastor Ralph is there in the city in Inglenook. And they saw something in a classroom where, at the time, some people were praying, and they took a picture of it. And so I'm sitting there reading the end of my sermon, and, and I get this, and I, and I download the picture. And, and there was a question with the picture that, that Mike and Nancy put with it. It said, do you think Truvine deals with a different world than Brookwood? Pass this on. Well... I'm passing it on to you in just a second, but have you ever um, done a spiritual discipline, whether in, in the context of worship or something? We actually did it here uh, in a Good Friday service, I think two years ago, where you, you'll take a piece of paper and you think about your temptations and your sins and you write them down and you wind up putting it on a cross, like a wooden cross. You'll stick them on there, you know, tack them on there or nail them on there. You ever done that at a retreat or somewhere? You ever done that? I mean, a lot of us have done that. Well, Mike and Nancy saw something like that in this classroom uh, at Truvine Church, and uh, I just want to share it with you. Uh, I, I have done that exercise, I don't know how many times since I was a 
youth pastor and being in church growing up, and we've done it here recently. When I'm talking and, and honest enough about, about, you know, thinking about what temptations and sins should I put down and go put on the cross, I'm not thinking about those. I'm not thinking about those. I, I might be thinking about greed or lust or anger, sloth. So Denzel's final words, you know, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. And after you've given thanks, pull someone else up. Because there are people in this city for whom we need to take our own gratitude. They deserve it every bit as much, if not more. I wonder if this week at some point you can commit to doing just that. Lord, make us a thankful people. (laughs) Remind us, please, how spoiled we are. How our cups are running over in such profound ways. And yet, just close by, just down the road, you have people who have so much more to struggle with. And yet, they are giving thanks and they're, they're wanting to give thanks. And we've got places all over the globe where brothers and sisters have such difficult, perhaps uh, persecution-laden Uh, situations, and yet they continue to give thanks. Well, help us to take some of what you've blessed us with and take that spirit of thanks where it's needed. Please help us to do that today. Amen.